Welcome to Robin's Crimeaholics Podcast. Today we are going to speak about Centoya Brown. She is from Tennessee and she was charged with first degree murder and got life without parole. Today's guest is my friend Stephanie. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So, obviously, we're going to talk about Centoya Brown. So, mm-hmm. which I'm very kind of on the fence about, but <laughs> we'll we'll discuss and see where it goes. <laughs> so, let's start. Like, so she was charged with first degree murder, and she got life without parole. Mm-hmm. Um, how old was she when she was charged with that? 16. Yeah, so she was still a minor. Right. However, in the state of Tennessee, minors can be tried as adults for serious crimes. They're one of the toughest states in the country as far as that's concerned. Now, so you have to go to, like, court to make that decision, right? Like, that's... Um, well, it's, that was one of the things that they did was um, her her first defense team was trying to get her um, trial to be held in juvenile court, um, not adult court, because with the adult court, um, there's only two options for, uh, what is it, murder, um, was either true life with no parole or 60 years with option for parole after 51. So like, don't they have to test them like their IQ, their abilities before they make that decision? Like, did they do any of that with her? I I feel like they did because that one, um, doctor or psychologist that in that talked to her where he showed her the different pictures and asked her to give an explanation of it everything was very dark and very violent morbid violent yeah yes. very violent um she was nothing you know happy it was yeah it was very but very was that and violent was that to determine if she was going to be charged as an adult or was that after she was already pushed to adult court? No, I think that was prior to trying to determine whether or not she was going to be charged in juvenile or adult court. So I don't understand why that testing wasn't relevant. I mean, that testing clearly determined that you know, she wasn't thinking correctly. She wasn't thinking like an adult. Um, well, they, I mean, they just try to use the defense that she was a victim. Um, I guess they just didn't believe it. I don't, I'm not really sure why a jury didn't believe it or, or the judge didn't believe it. I mean, they did present evidence to that fact. Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, I can't speak on the behalf of those people. I mean, obviously, these are all just our opinions and thoughts um, in regards to this case. But Okay, so let's talk about the crime. Mm-hmm. So this happened... Well, let's talk about before the crime. So her, she had run away from home. She was considered a runaway. Yep, yeah, and she was running away at a very early age. Right. 
Like, I, I, according to what I've read, she was actually in the um, child protective services system for two years before this, but she kept running away. Like I remember they mentioned she went to um, uh, the school. What is it called? A juvenile. It's yeah, like a juvenile school for delinquents or something like that. And she would run away from there. Yeah, and I think it was saying she was like a runaway from like the age of 12 is where they lost control of her. And that's when she got kicked out of a regular school and started attending the alternative school. Which right, that's what I was thinking, alternative. I think she got kicked out of that too. I think, I mean, I think she might have just cut running away from that because the one interview in the movie that we watched on Netflix, the documentary, um, her adoptive mother said that she just did not like authority. She did not like rules and she kept running away. Yeah. So she was already a problem child by 12. So she had run away and her boyfriend who was like, what, 15, 20 years older than her, was pimping her out. Right. And in that time, they considered her a prostitute, even though she was actually a minor. She was a child. But they considered her a prostitute. Right. Um, so she was picked up by this guy she agreed to a certain amount to have sex and he took her to his house mm -hmm. and he was what showing her his gun collections right and was stating that he was like a sharpshooter in the military before and, and all this other stuff yeah, so she said at that point that she didn't want to have sex with him. She just wanted to uh, go to sleep or have him go, go to sleep so that she could run away. Right. So that's, that's what she's saying anyway. So who knows? But so she, he ends up, they both end up in the bed. He ends up sleeping and... I don't know. She shot him. She claims that he was like trying to nudge her to wake her up to have sex. And she kept was like, like blowing him off basically like leave me alone kind of thing. And then she claims that he reached over. She was thinking he was getting a gun. She had a gun in her purse, I think on the nightstand and she grabbed it and shot him. But the evidence photos of his position of where he was in the bed, they were trying to say that he was basically shot in the back and had no clue. Right. So they said basically that their interpretation was he was sleeping when he was shot in the back, which was a fatal wound. So right. did she shoot him multiple times? Just one? <sighs> They, I only heard them reference a shot in the back of the head, which instantaneously, instantaneously killed him. But if I remember, it looked like the photo, they looked like there was a couple more shots. But I'm thinking there was one to the back of the head because I remember them stating that. Yeah, and I seem to think there was like one in his back. 
Right, that's what I was kind of remembering. But again, this is just our opinions, our views, our interpretation of this crime. There was only two people there, so... And we all know there's three sides to every story. And the one can't tell his side. Yeah. (laughs) And neither can the truth. We only have hers. Right. Right, exactly. So, when... They went to court. She was tried as an adult and they didn't see her as a victim. They, you know, thought that she had purposely murdered him. Right. Because basically her boyfriend slash pimp at the time told her that she was slacking and needed to go out and make some money. So the prosecutors theory was that she went out there purposely to steal from him um you know which i I think she got like 172 dollars from his wallet and two of his two of his guns and she did flee flee the scene in his truck yeah so she did steal from him and their defense was we're not here saying that she's perfect right like we know that but then they tried to go into you know um I mean, I think they did say that she was mildly mentally incapacitated to be able to to stand adult trial. Um, she didn't understand her Miranda rights when they were given to her. And um, still didn't of, understand them when she was being interviewed about it. Um, well, no, I think she kind of did. And that's when she was like, I should have really paid attention to what they were saying when they were saying my Miranda rights. Like. And then clearly says you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> and then um, she said that they had promised her something when they turned the camera off. Before they turned the camera on, the detective in the case had supposedly promised her that if she cooperated and told her side of the story, that he would ask the district attorney and the prosecutor to go easy Easy on her. her. Yeah. Right. So in the documentary, um, they interviewed her birth mother who was a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And the birth mother had admitted to doing crack cocaine and drinking while she was pregnant and that the mother got pregnant on her 16th birthday yeah something like that but however i don't think the crack cocaine came into play until after she gave birth she definitely did drink while she was pregnant but um i think it was after the birth is when she started doing crack Oh, I thought she said it was. She this did is, it well, that's why she decided to give the baby up because she was doing crack to try to, and then was having to prostitute to make ends meet and to feed the baby. And she knew she couldn't provide a good life for her and wanted to have a better life than what she could give her and put her up for adoption. But the so the birth mom's name was Georgina Mitchell, mm-hmm. and the. Mom who adopted her was Ellenette Brown. So let's just call her Ellen because I've yeah. never heard of Ellenette. Right. But she said she adopted her at two years old. So did the right. mom have her for the first two years? 
Yes. Or she was in the system. Or no, both. she no, she, no, she she was never in the system until she started acting out and running away. Um, no, she was adopted um, at like two. Yeah, because that's what Ellen said. She had adopted right. her at two. So she was being charged with like first degree murder, felony murder, and aggravated robbery. How right. do you get charged with two murders? There's there's one dead person. How do you get felony and first degree? Isn't that like two? Di- that's two different charges. Yeah, I don't know. I only see the first degree murder. So I think the felony murder charge. I think it was just saying that it was a felony crime. Well, I think the felony murder charge was because, I don't know, was he in politics or he was in something well he was a well-known person he was um a real estate agent he was a youth pastor who was out you know looking for hookers um a youth (laughs) pastor and a sunday school teacher um so that's what i think felony murder is i think felony murder is if it's like someone prominent in the community yes yes so she didn't get charged with that. I guess they just combined the two. You know, she didn't get punished for that or however you want to say that. But they, I think they were her original charges. First degree murder, felony murder, and aggravated robbery. And I think she was only punished for first degree murder. So Correct. they put them all together or whatever they do. So what was her... So it was life without parole. And wasn't she the youngest one in Tennessee to ever get that? Um, that I do not know. Um, I That's possible um, that she was. I do know they referenced that they had, had, had people as young as 12 years old in oh. the adult system for crimes um, in that documentary. So it's possible that she might not have been. So, and her trial was only a couple days long. Like, that, like, really boggled my mind. Like, how can you put someone away for life? And her trial was, like, four days long. Yep. It was, yeah, it wasn't very long. And they only, they only deliberated, the jury only deliberated for, like, six hours or something like that. Yeah, it was, like, August 21st to August 25th. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. So it was quick. So then they had the birth mother's mother. So the grandmother. Right. <laughs> and so the birth mom was saying how mental illness is in the family and domestic abuse and drug abuse and alcoholism. And that poor woman, I think her name was Joan. I don't remember, yeah. And so the mom was like, you want to see some? Wait. (laughs) Right. Wait till you meet my mom. (laughs) But. No no teeth Nancy over there. I'm really glad that her birth mom at least came to bat for her. Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, she ends up getting life with parole She's 
in jail and, you know, as everyone does who's in jail, they're filing appeals. So she ends up with a whole new legal team mm-hmm. who was pro bono. Right. And then they really started digging into her past, into the birth mother, the grandmother, and everyone else. And that's when they're doing all this testing and psychological testing. More, yeah, more than what she had already had. Yeah, and and pictures. And it it, it was just... Now, mind you, when they did the appeal, though, she had already been in there for eight years. Yeah, and it was without parole, life without parole. Correct. I just, how can you say that a person deserves that? Like, you see plenty of murders where people get seven years and 15 years. Like, how can you say a 16-year-old who is immature, they are not, their brains aren't even all the way developed, how do you give them life without parole, but let yet you let 30 year old men out in seven years. Right. You know, that have fully developed brains. I I think Texas is really strict on their, their laws and rules and court system. I think they're one of the stricter states. Yeah. Tennessee. What did I say? Texas. Sorry. (laughs) Tennessee. Um, You just moving her. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm just relocating her. Um, I feel like they're one of the more stricter states when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, one of the statistics was, you know, 81% of the appeal cases get denied. So, you know what I mean? It's just. Yeah. So she got the, the new legal team who were pro bono and, you know, they really went to bat for her. They really started looking into things and asking questions and interviews and speaking to the birth mom, the adoptive mom, the birth grandma. And they really start digging to the core of the issue on why she was just so rebellious, why, you know, she couldn't deal with authority and, you know, why she was so out of control. So that and the fact that today or, you know, later on after she was in jail, they no longer call a minor who's having sex for money a prostitute. It's now called child trafficking. It's now child abuse. You know, it's now more than ever against the law. Like that the guy that I mean, she that's just recent though. That's just, yeah. just changed the law as recent as 2017 in regards to that. Like Yeah, like if, if a child it's considered yeah, it's considered sex trafficking team now. Yeah, so like the guy that was murdered, Johnny Allen, if this happened today, he would be charged with having sex with a minor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So with time, with, you know, things evolving, it just wasn't the same anymore. So she gets a new legal team that's, you know, really going to bat for her. And, you know, they find out that the birth mother admits to at least drinking and or doing drugs while she was pregnant with Centoya. Mm-hmm. 
And so they, they get, um, you know, experts on fetal alcohol syndrome and have them, you know, all come in and test her, interview her, and they find out that she really does have fetal alcohol syndrome. And they kept calling it uh, FASD. Well, because they're saying it was fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, which is different than actual fetal alcohol syndrome. Really? Like, yeah. they sound the same like to me. Dis- I mean, yeah, they probably kind of are, but that's what that is. It's fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. And I didn't know that alcohol was the worst toxin to a fetus mm-hmm. for brain damage while you know it's developing yeah. and it's a mild mental retardation right i would think that drugs would be worse than alcohol but it's not yeah i would yeah i was a little surprised at that too but i guess i mean i don't know i guess maybe because alcohol goes more into your bloodstream what circulates through where but anything would pregnant yeah true yeah. i always heard that if a baby had fetal alcohol syndrome or a mom drank when she was pregnant. You know that little a bumpy thing in the middle of your top lip? Underneath yeah. your nose, that little bump that yeah. if a mother drank when she was pregnant, the kid doesn't have that. No I'm idea if that's true. <laughs> Just the top of my head that I'm sitting here saying, well, now I want to look. Like, now i got to go back and watch it. Right. Does she have that? Is there any truth to that? I don't know. Let's pull up a picture. (laughs) (laughs) She does have it, though. Does she have it? Yeah. Mm. So... Fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, that's, I, I, I don't know. Is it true? Is it not? There's not a blood test that says she has that. And not only that, but it's that stating that is kind of, yes, she may have, you know, whatever test they give to kind of say if you have that, but kind of what the one prosecutor said was, is you're basically going off of, people's stories like that's what they're telling you do you have proof of that right and if the birth mom drank and did drugs are her memories correct right like and they (sighs) the birth mom was saying that her whole family including her mother they all have mental illness they were all um you know in domestic violence that they all did drugs so how much of that is accurate and how can you tell just by saying what what do you see in this picture tell me a story about this picture how does that determine if you have something like i'm more of the science girl i need blood work right (laughs) like right i'm with you yeah i need blood work so i I don't know because the way that documentary alluded to it, it did appear that that man was sleeping and she murdered him. I mean, the way it it did, yes, um, it it, it definitely did. Um, 
the way they said his hands were kind of like almost in like a praying. Um, yeah, like they were you know, under his pillow or something. Kind yeah. Of like hanging together. Like so, it, it wasn't, there was no signs or evidence at all that he was reaching for any type of gun or that her life was in danger, which is what she basically said. Yeah, because which is why she shot him. You wouldn't have your hands clasped closed if you were reaching for something. Correct. And even if you're laying on the edge, the side of the bed, and you're just going to reach under the mattress, which is where I think she thought that he had one, you're still not going to do it with closed hands. I agree. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm so (sighs) torn on it because she was a minor. She was 16 She's not all upstairs, but is anybody if they're out committing murder? But so here, let's let's touch on that for a minute because this is where I have a hard. This is where I'm having a hard time with this story. So she was adopted at two, and the her adoptive mother seemed to provide a very loving and stable home for her. And yes, while. It may have been genetic. It's not like she grew up with her biological mother or her grandmother who were mentally unstable and doing drugs and drinking and mental disorders. I do get that mental you know, disorders can be genetic, but she wasn't around that from the time she was two. Her adopted mother provided a stable home, stuff like she just didn't like the rules, which is part of this you know, fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Like, yeah, as part like of being rules. a teenager, no teenager likes uh, right. that. We all rebel. We don't like the rules. Like she flat out said in the one interview, like to her adoptive mother, I ran away because I knew you wouldn't let me drink in the house. I knew you, yeah. wouldn't, let, you wouldn't let me have sex in the house. You wouldn't let me do this. So I ran away. So in my mind, she put herself in that predicament and decided she chose to live on the street and she chose to do that she knew what she was doing and they try to say she didn't know right from wrong but i feel like she did know because i feel she like did. she made she that admitted choice it. and then the fact that while she, they want to sit there in one defense and say that um mild retardation because of this but yet she was a stellar student with the college that would come in and she got a degree. So she couldn't have been that mildly retarded. (laughs) So let's go back (laughs) to the science today, not then, today says that everything that a child is going to be or become or whatever is instilled in the first three years of their life. So if you go by that and the first two, you know, she was being left wherever. So mom could go get high or drunk or. But honestly, like at two years old, do you really remember? I, I have no memories of anything. I want to say five or six. I have no idea. I don't remember what I did when I had a diaper on. I'm pretty sure I, I peed my pants. I did yesterday. 
Let's get it. But no, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how much I buy into that. I do get it. I, I, I totally get it. And like I said, I do know that the mental things can be genetic. So that is that is the factor into that. So the but, mental thing is hereditary. The uh, addiction is hereditary. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I'm torn. I do not think she should have been charged with life without parole at the age of 16. She was a minor. Like, you can't throw her away at the age of 16. You just can't when you're letting a 40-year-old man go in seven years when he murders somebody. Right. Like, I just think it's a whole nother realm when it's a child whose brain is not developed. Fully de yeah, I, I, I mean, I do have a tendency to agree with you. And I think that's kind of why, you know, things progressed the way, the way they did after Tennessee changed that law. Um, you know what I mean? But I, I was also reading something which didn't come out in the documentary that um, they did have witnesses who said that, um, that Johnny Allen had, um, they had two women who testified that he had raped them. No way. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. Well, number one, if you're a prostitute or you're looking for a prostitute, I'm going to say something's wrong in your life. Well, not only that, but you're a youth pastor and you're looking for young girls. That's kind of a, you know, red flag right there. Um, it said they presented, presented several witnesses on her behalf, on Brown's behalf. Um, she said the one girl had previously dated him and alleged that he invited her to his home and he began kissing her. She decided she didn't want to have sex and he proceeded to rape her. And then there was another girl who was 17 who he did the same thing to, but they said it was irrelevant. Again, 17 testimony. is a minor. Right. But they were labeled, they labeled at the court in the evidence. They labeled the testimony irrelevant. Why? I have no idea. Cause by that point, those women were adults, right? Right. Yep. So she ends up getting it back into court, which you already said only happens 19% of the time. <laughs> right. So Tennessee had changed their laws to where the new law said that minors can no longer be charged and sentenced as prostitutes. Which was new. I guess that was like in, what, 05, 06? No, that when, was when she was charged. That was when she was charged in 2004. She was charged as a prostitute. The law changed in 2017. Uh, yeah. So they finally get that appeal going. They get it to court, and now they present all this evidence, the, the fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, and so they go through all that. I don't remember how long that trial lasted, but I think it lasted longer than the first one. Yeah, I want to say it was... Hmm, I feel like it started in 2017 and ended almost a year later. Yeah, so they get it 
you know, they get the appeal, they get it to court, and they were asking for clemency, right? Yeah, so they were asking for clemency after, I guess, the laws changed and all of these um, celebrities kind of came to her defense and was like they needed to free her, They she needed to go before the parole board, she was a victim, you know, women's rights, um, all of this. So they were trying to do a clemency hearing so where, you know, her conviction can be vacated. And that happens even less than the appeals are heard. And so I think, what was it, the mayor or the governor was getting ready to go out of office. The governor, yeah, you get clemency from the governor, right. And it said something like, I don't maybe there was a 3% chance that it would happen. 2%. 2? Yeah. So, and they had to wait eight months for a decision. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Wasn't he out of office by then? I mean, it's, mm, it depends. You know, that office thing is weird. Or he just squeaks that out on his last he days he's there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the president gets to do that too, right? He can, yes. He can pardon people and give clemency. So eight months later, um, she, she they commuted her sentence to 15 years. And she was to be on probation for 10 years after that. So she was already in jail for like 14 and a half years. She had seven months left to serve. Right. She got in August and he gave her that commuted sentence on January 7th. Yeah, so I feel good about that because... 15 years is more than a lot of people get for murder. Plus she's on probation for 10 years. But so if you're going to commute it and you're going to say it's because of fetal alcohol syndrome, this, that, and the other thing, what are they doing to help that? You know what I mean? Well, well, that's my whole other thing too, because I feel like, she did she she did all of these things so before she was in prison she was running wild she didn't want to follow the rules or whatever and then she went to prison and she had to follow the rules and she pretty much changed her life around you know she you went to school she got a degree she followed the rules she didn't have any contact with anybody who was doing bad things in prison she was always on her best behavior you know like this and that and so i kind of feel like prison did she was one of the cases that were it did reform her um and to be you know uh, the person that she is but you don't hear about that kind of aspect of it you know what i mean like does she still have those issues is she is is she seeking help like that kind of stuff yeah so if you're going to say that someone has this syndrome and this is why they committed murder or this is why they weren't thinking correctly, what are you doing so that it doesn't happen again? Or like, I, I don't know. I know you can't be healed from it. I know it doesn't go away, but 
I mean, just because you shove her in college classes or GED classes, what are they doing about the actual problem? Well, I mean, that's what I, I mean. She's supposedly, you know, since she's been released, she's, you know, she's done numerous interviews. She, you know, different groups. She speaks to like her story um, and, you know, surviving domestic minor trafficking and, you know, speaks to all of that. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's her therapy to not do it again and yeah, show because- that she's healed. Like she said when she was being interviewed that she knows it's wrong. She knows she should be punished. Like, you know, that that guy didn't deserve to die. You know, so she knows right from wrong. Right. And I'm glad that she's out there speaking about it. And maybe she's helping someone, you know, along the way that they don't do it. Right. I mean, I, she does say that, you know, it's still something, it's still a decision that she still has to live with herself every day. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's on her and that's, you know, with her God on her own mind. Um, you know, as long as she doesn't feel the need to do that kind of thing again, I guess. But I, I kind of feel like she probably wouldn't, but I just, I don't know. I kind of, I almost feel like she kind of got people to sympathize with her and her story to get a lenient sentence. I know you feel that like she, I'm torn. And that's where I'm torn too. Yes. She was 16. Yes. She was a victim. Yes. She was being trafficking. You know, the same thing with Gypsy Rose. You know what I mean? She was a victim. That doesn't excuse you to murder somebody. Well, and that's where I'm at with it too. Like it doesn't excuse her actions. Like she basically, had the intent to, she was going to rob him. Like, I feel like that was her intent. She needed the money. You know what I mean? She was going to rob him, maybe not murder him. Um, But then she also did admit to it. And I kind of feel like that's what made me be on the fence about it because they played that recording of when she was on the phone with her mom or adoptive mom I was like, mom, you don't understand. I killed him. I executed him. Like she knew what she was doing. Yeah. And whether she just used the wrong words and speaking about it, that makes her look cold hearted. Like I executed him. That's different than like killing somebody in self-defense. In yeah. my mind. It does. And the whole fact of how he was positioned. Now, I don't think that she purposely went there with the intentions on killing him. No, I don't think so either. Because, um, I mean, obviously it wasn't premeditated because he picked her up at a restaurant at the McDonald's or whatever it was, you know what I mean, outside the hotel. So I definitely don't think that was her intention. And she was a victim because, you know, her boyfriend, Pimp, who was much older than her, you know, was, and that was her only way of survival is to pimp. And that was the man that sort of half-assed took care of her, mm-hmm. you know, because she was a child. So I don't think she went in there with the intent to kill. So I don't know why it's first degree murder. But 
I do think that, you know, she was looking for some easy cash and it was much easier to steal it than to sleep with him. Um, I don't think she wanted to kill him. I don't know why she killed him. Obviously, I don't think he was reaching for a gun if his hands were clasped. And yeah, like that, that like really threw me off. But I do think she served a, enough of a sentence. I mean, I think one warranted the other. I mean, possibly. But then if you, you know, I don't know, I, I guess. So she served 15 years and she has 10 years probation. Right. So, I mean, I I see a lot anymore that. People don't even get 15 years for murder oh, you're, anymore. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you look at it like that, but if you were, you know, let's say, let's say it was somebody you knew, you know what I mean? And yeah. Did, you know, you would want them to be. Well, my ultimate thinking is if you take a life, you give a life. Right. An eye for an eye. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think... You know, like, say they were 20, so they should live to be 80. So that person should have to serve 60 years. That's how I see it. Well, which is what she basically, I think, because life is 60 years, I think, and you parole after 51. Do you really parole when it says no parole? That, I mean, did she get that? I thought she, she got, got life without oh, she no parole. parole. And I think, I, know there was the two. I think there's only a few states that really have that. I don't know, but she's going to be done her probation in 2029. Really? Mm-hmm. So, Seven years. Yeah, she's only, what, checking in? You know, she's not... She don't have Depends that. on what level probation she is. She doesn't have, like, an ankle monitor, does she? No, I'm sure she doesn't have that. But, I mean, the level of probation depends on if you have to go in multiple times a week, once a month, once a week. Now, did she go back to her adoptive mom's house, Ellen? Uh, it doesn't say, but I would assume... Um, she would go back there because it looked like she really didn't have a relationship with her birth mom and the birth grandmother, but they started to get one once she was locked up. Well, I think only that's because they had this person in the documentary and following her case. So I feel like they were reaching out. Yeah, because I feel like them to help with the case. They gave a lot of information about the adoptive mom. Like, we didn't need to know that she was raped and beat and, like, what's that got to do with your daughter? see, that's kind of why I feel like they were trying to gain sympathy with that because, and they were trying to use the way the mother was raised and what was normal to show why, why, why she went through that. Like, the mom was saying, like, her mom would, you know, let her go off with this 20 year old when she was 12. And you know what I mean? She was raped numerous times. Like, okay. And her mom was getting money for it. Right. So her mom was pimping her out. Right. Which is, they're saying is the pattern. But again, 
she wasn't with them from the time she was two until whatever. But then again, we only seen the adoptive mom's life that she wanted to show. You don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I'm still torn with this case. My opinion is I, I could go either way. Like, I don't think a child should get that kind of a sentence. Okay. So if a child does get that kind of sentence after 15, 20 years, everything should be reevaluated. A child is a child. Right. I don't care. So it looks like she's married. Really? It says Brown and her husband founded a nonprofit organization together upon her release. Huh. So what was that? A pen pal? (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't know. Um, I think it was just punishment. I mean, I guess. I mean, I feel like. I don't know. I just, I'm so torn on it because I feel like she, she got people's sympathy. And I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel for her for what she went through because she was a child. But I also feel like you made those decisions. Right. But you don't feel as though 15 years in jail and 10 years probation serves a life sentence or is adequate to a murder? Like, I don't know. I I always get torn. I mean, that's where, that's where it kind of, it kind of, you know, everyone has different opinions on what, but you even said, like, an eye for an eye. Like, you take someone's life, they don't get to live their life. Right. Why should and, you get to live yours? And it, it shouldn't matter what kind of person they were. It was still a life. So I, I don't want to hear... Oh, well, you know, oh, he was a drug addict or whatever. That doesn't matter. You took a life. You should serve a life. But so my opinion is if a child commits a crime, there certainly should be an amount of time that everything gets reevaluated. Laws change. Circumstances change. Testing changes. They should be reevaluated. You should not lock up a kid forever. I mean, I agree to some point, but I do feel like like, there's some children out there just that are not wired properly. Oh, I I agree on that one. Especially, you know, the kid that takes out both his parents. Well, that, and I mean, you know, you hear stories of like crazy kids out there just like. Yeah, and you can't justify stuff because the murderer was a victim. You, so what you're saying is you know what it feels like to be a victim. Well, you don't get to put anyone else in your shoes. I don't know. I feel like there's just some people that are just wired, wired wrong and they just don't. Well, I'm just, just glad that she came out and she's just doing a lot of positive things for other victims like her. I do believe that the 15 years she served and a 10 years probation, I, I think that's just for what she did. Yeah. 
I mean, again, like I'm just so torn on it. And her husband, yes, they met while she was serving life. Why? Why do people do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. So, yeah. any last words or points? No, I'm just kind of really torn on the whole thing. Like, I, I get, uh, I don't know. I feel like she just played on people's sympathy. But, again, I do feel for her. Um, I am glad that she is speaking out. Maybe her story can help other other girls come forward and know that they're not alone in that situation. It's reach out for help so they don't have to go through something like this. Um that there's always someone out there willing to help you or hear your story. Um, you don't have to fight the battle alone kind of thing. So I do think that it's good that she is speaking that and doing and, and, and speaking about her past and, and making her story known. I do feel that that's a good part of the story. Yeah. And it, it, maybe it was this case that helped change the laws to see that, you know, a child cannot be a prostitute. That's just not possible. It's a child. They don't have the ability or capability to make that decision. And that any adult that touches a minor should be prosecuted as so. But I'm really glad that, you know, she's doing positive things with her life. And, you know, for the people around her, the ones that you know, are going through the same things with her. Yes. So on that note, we will end this podcast. And this is our opinions and beliefs on this crime. Your views may be different. That's why it's an opinion. And you can follow me on Robin's Crimeaholic Podcast. You can follow on Instagram or Facebook or drop us a message. And until we meet again, have a good night.